Okay, guys, it goes without saying that at the moment around the world, things are pretty tricky in terms of the coronavirus, and we're all aware that sports, for the most part, have been stopped altogether. So there's a lot of coaches out there with athletes who are housebound, who are no longer training, no longer able to get into team training or any sort of physical conditioning. So what we've decided to do is to make our fundamentals programs completely free and accessible uh, via our Facebook page. So these are programs that are split up to four levels of six weeks each. Entirely body weight based with minimal to no equipment, completely easy to do at home with all sets, reps, progressions, videos and instructions planned out for you. So if that would solve a problem for you and your athletes, then head over to our Facebook page. You can see the video links to the YouTube channel as well as get the PDF. If you comment on the stream or email us directly, then we're more than happy to give that to you. So welcome to the podcast. Today I'm speaking with Kevin Mannion, who is the Academy Head of Performance at Gloucester Rugby. So welcome to the podcast, Kev. Cheers, Rob. Hope you're well. And you. So for those who haven't come across you before, can you give us a bit of an overview of your kind of current role at Gloucester Rugby? So uh, presently, uh, I sit uh, just outside of rugby, looking after the S&C programme predominantly. Uh, liaising with physios around all the rehab and uh, ongoing medical stuff in terms of return to play and where the lads are able to play. I'm uh, heavily involved in some off-field work in terms of uh, charitable stuff and uh, getting the boys working actively and, and, and having track, not dual careers, it's the wrong term, but making them accountable for what they're doing in the time away from the programme. Uh, and then, uh, probably lastly, but something that's been quite, I'm uh, not just running, working with the senior academy, I'm also working as lead for the under 16s programme. So I'm looking after the top and the bottom of the pathway. And we've got a guy called Jordan Merton who's doing a great job in the middle working with the under 18s. So he feeds into me, I feed into him, and then we both have some element of working together in the senior academy, which is a it's a great environment to be in. Brilliant. So can you give us a bit of an overview of your your athletic journey, I guess, um, pre-rugby, any kind of activities you did as a kid and, and how that developed as you kind of went into rugby as a profession? So uh, I've, uh, I've got a younger sister and a younger brother. So I was... we play, I played rugby as a kid from being like age of six. Uh, my sister was... a a runner, my brother played rugby, uh, did quite well as a junior, uh, not great, but did quite well. Got into like Wigan's programme, being as an under 16, but didn't get any further. So when you're looking at these kids that are coming into programmes, I can appreciate how it's like when you don't get picked by the hometown club. It's, it's one of those things, but first I was fortunate that uh, a guy that had coached me as an under 16, uh, asked me down to go and to like a championship level club and uh, I went there and uh, within I, got, I turned 16 on 31st of August and that October I made my uh, first team debut so I played senior rugby at 16 and 100 days or something which is ridiculous because mm. I was definitely too young I was underdeveloped but I had some skills that were allowed me to get around the rugby pitch I did two years there and I, uh, I broke my arm quite badly. I shattered my scaphoid and uh, fractured my radius. So I went to university. Spent the first year in a cast. That was really fun, doing loads of work and walking around with a plastic cast in university. And then uh, once that came off while I was studying, I played for uh, Great Britain students against Australia and Australia. Uh, I played for England students in a World Cup final against New Zealand, uh, which we got beaten, which was gutting. Uh, and from there, I signed pro again for two years. Uh, again, I haven't won many games at the top end, so I lost the World Cup final. And then my last ever game as a pro when I was 21 was a Premiership final to get Super League, and I lost that too. So uh, not had much success in them uh, in the big games. But uh, I made a decision at 21, which was that level of rugby wouldn't pay a mortgage. It wasn't sustainable. It was great. It was an outstanding environment growing up. Uh, 
I grew up, I got to grow up fast because around men all the time. I was like a 16 year old lad, or a young one. So life skills are quite, I had to grow up quite quick. But then it got to a point where it, it wouldn't pay the bills and I had to walk away. So I just, after that game, I just walked, I said, that's it, I'm done. And uh, luckily enough, around that time, uh, I've been doing some work with the apprentices at Wigan Athletic, just doing like MBQ teaching and stuff like that. Uh, Wigan Warriors were uh, doing some work and the guy that I'd done my placement with on my degree was uh, at St. Helens moved to Wigan and he was a uh, head of S&C and he said, did I want to come on board and do some part-time work with the academy? I was like, yeah, of course. So I went there three nights a week at 21, 22 and uh, stayed for four years. So went as his assistant. Uh, I was, it was great to be around your hometown club. I mean, I'm not being funny, but if, if, if any kid from Gloucester looks up and goes, oh, right now there's a, a Billy Twelve Trees, Charlie Sharples, uh, Henry Trinder. It's like me going into the weights room at Wigan and there being Andrew Farrell, Chris Radlinski, uh, Terry O'Connor, Terry Newton. The people that I looked up to and I was coaching them. So I did four years there, and then uh, I went to British Tennis, which seems like a complete left-field move. But uh, that opened up so many doors because I was based at the University of Bath. So it was Bath University and Loughborough University, which are the high-performance centres. So uh, Matt Little, who is Andy Murray's trainer, was head at Loughborough, and I headed up at Bath. I So... Uh, Danny Holcroft, who is SNC for British Bob Skeleton, probably their most successful uh, winter sport. Uh, he's done an amazing job there. I took his job as he went to Skeleton. Uh, and me and Matt ran parallel programs between Loughborough and Bath. And then within three years, they went, we're going to decentralise all that. And we're going to have a national tennis centre and we're going to move everybody into the regions. So I went to Roehampton for nine months and that was probably the biggest eye-opener in, in terms of work life. I've never seen anything as fast. Travelling from Wigan to London on a train, travelling across London in the morning to get to work for nine o'clock in Rowanton was like, it was crazy. And, and that only had a certain uh, shelf life, if I'm honest. Uh, so I managed that for about nine months. And at that point, there a guy that I'd rehabbed uh, when, he was, uh, when I was at Wigan. He took over at Leicester Tigers in the academy. And uh, I was just having some chance phone calls, just seeing if there's anything around in rugby. And I just sent him a text. And it's on a Wednesday. And he kind of said, can you get to Leicester on Friday? He said, you need to meet the chief exec. So I went down and met Simon Cohen and him. Uh, and it all went pretty favourably. So I started eight years at Leicester Tigers then with their academy programme. And, and again, like a bit like the Wigan scenario, you're walking into what was a... It is still, but what was then a colossal in the European game in the English Premiership. The people that are walking around are like Ben Kay, Martin Corey. Julian White, George Shooter, like the, the big names, the prominent names in the world, in England squad at that point, and the people they were recruiting. So it was like a great place to work around. And I learned so much with like Neil McCarthy, Jim Mackay, other people, other coaches that came in. And, and them experiences were amazing. So I was, like I said, about eight years there. And in 2015, I moved to Gloucester. And I've just been just about to finish my fifth year there. And like we were sat, we had a bit of a, uh, three or four of us had a discussion about picking teams out of the last 12 years and it's quite scary the number of players that have come through out of it that we, we could put together and it's, and it's not just looking at like uh, it, it's easy to go you've got Tulangi, you've got Ford uh, people like that who, who were there but then like you look at the lads like that are now playing in the Premiership that could be in teams that could be really competitive and we put three full teams together 45 lads that were for 12 years, that would be an interesting set of fixtures, which is good, really. Yeah, yeah, that's, I mean, that's some success rate. There's a lot of people that would, <laughs> would cut their arm off for that. So if you would kind of dig down a little bit deeper, what would you say is the kind of driving purpose for what you do? And what is it that gets you out of bed in the morning? So I, I've, someone sat and asked me that a while ago, why are you not a senior conditioner? And when, when you say to someone like, I have no drive to work in a senior, it sounds wrong, I have no drive to work in a senior environment. I don't, I don't, I don't feel like it would fulfill what I want to do as a job. Uh, at the minute, 
it's it's just it's so interesting dealing with the dynamics day to day. It's watching like the, the, if you look at say if I go back twenty years and I went to Wigan in two thousand and two. Sean O'Loughlin was in the academy. who's Wigan's first team captain now. His son's now playing the same team as my son at Wigan Rugby Union, and we chat about stuff and we talk about stuff, and it's being able to reconnect with people further down the line. But day to day, it's like, okay, I'm going to try this, but it didn't work. But we're going to try this again, and it didn't work. It's 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 the ability to go. I've got four years, I've got two, two years, three years, four years to work with this person. I've not got week to week to get them on the pitch at as close to 100% as possible. Yeah, there is those little bits in the middle where performance measures are important and, and getting them on the pitch is critical. But if, this sounds sound really like really probably corny, but if you think that all the great artists and all the great craft, craftsmen didn't do it in a day, it took them weeks, months, years, and it took weeks, months, years of building trust that they would get there and they, the, what they would finish with would be good enough or would be as quality standard enough for people to say and reflect on it that that was, that was, that was quality. And with what we see with the, what, what drives me is these young kids is that day after day they're working so hard but behind the scenes and out of the way nobody knows how hard these academy lads work. Like if you, uh, when you, when I was at Leicester, in, if you think that at one point they had Youngs, Flood, Hamilton, Aaron Major, uh, Alessandro on one wing, uh, another international international fullback, you had to be world class to get through. But it doesn't stop and deter these kids week after week trying to push and get themselves in that environment. And, and it's the same with the kids at at Gloucester at the minute, like since 2015, we've probably recruited eight into the senior squad out of that 2015 academy group. Now that's not a bad turnover that in all honesty. And, and, and in a four year cycle, cause they signed last year, that's probably about right. But the day to day, what's got them to that point is what gets you out of bed every morning and, and, and the willingness and want to work. It's not like every day is a chore. Every day is a challenge. But it's a really good challenge if you get what I mean. Hundred mm, percent. And and I mean, just on a personal, I'm completely the same. Like, it does not motivate me the prospect of working with Glasgow Warriors first fifteen or Edinburgh Rugby. It's that the desire to be involved in building something is, you know, is a big driver. So, do I you have a? Sorry, there, there is just, just on that one. So, like, but I think there's a ceiling. I think there's a. I think there's a. There's a longevity to it. And and if I'm like I'm probably there's two sides to it, isn't there? So when you when you work in academies, then uh, there's quite a quick a quick turnover of staff. It's it's a, it depends how you manage it. So I'm lucky that so when when I was at Leicester, Robin Eagle was with me, who's England under England under uh, uh, 20s pathway manager. He was there five years as a, an assistant and intern, intern assistant. Now I've come to Gloucester, Jordan Merton was DPP SNC, which is one night a week on a, on a pitch in the middle of the cold. But he's been in the process four and a half years now and he's staying. Now, if you can get that longevity, that's amazing. But there's so many people that are wanting to, once I'm in the club, jump and jump. Mm -hmm. Actually, mm -hmm. you're probably missing essential learning time around your coaching craft and your coaching ability by going too soon because you can't make mistakes at the top you can't make mistakes at the bottom but mistakes are easier to manage at the bottom than they are with the players that are expected to turn out week after week and i think that's something that probably does go awry with like where we're at i don't know what is it the shelf life of the job is and that's probably something where in the last 12 months I've had to sit and think about things as well. Mm, I think it's a really interesting point. And, and it's, I guess, if you look at successful academies in any sport, there's usually an element of longevity attached. Like, you know, the classic one that people always pull out is Man United. Well, Man United have had probably one of the 
biggest bouts of longevity in football full stop. Um, and so, you know, that support structure and the continuity of leadership, etc. But there is also the flip side to that where people view the academy as a stepping stone to the first team. So as you've kind of pointed out, they want to get to the first team in as short a period of time as possible because that's the ultimate goal. But yeah. it's at the detriment of the academy, in my opinion, because that person who's made mistakes has taken the learnings and moved on to another level. So the learnings aren't being reinvested at that level necessarily. They're being moved on to the, the A team or to the, the first 15. And so you end up with a new batch of coaches who are going to make mistakes. But, but the benefits of those mistakes are never realised at the academy level necessarily. Yeah, and, 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 and there's no expectation that play, people, people will stay. People are ambitious that work in sport. They want to be. Very few people come into sport to work in the academy. Mm. Everyone wants, a lot of people come into sport to work at the top end because that is ultimately where the money is there, but also the, the, the ability to move and status is there as well. But actually, like, there's, that's probably part of the driver's question. It's our, pre, our, our premiership final is when the players make their debuts. When they appear in that first 15 with three, four, five, six years work behind them, because that's, you've, you've, you've invested that much time in it. You're one part of the puzzle. So whoever, mum and dad are critical because of the way they've supported them when they've come through. Club coaches are critical because the way they brought them at 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. BPP coaches are critical because the amount of time they've invested through the coaching philosophy of the club has. And then they get to you guys at like 16, and you spend two years in the junior academy, and then they move up. So like these guys at 19 or 20, 21 that are making their debuts, you're thinking, oh, that's great. That's like another one. That's, that, that, that's your like, that's your buzz. Mm. No, 100%. Completely agree. Completely agree. So do you have a particular model or kind of philosophy that you follow in your coaching practice? Is there anything that you've kind of given thought to to put down on paper or even just some working principles in your head? Yeah. Uh, I, not very prescriptive at all. So, like, I, I'm very interactive as a coach. So I want to... I want to get to a point where my coaching becomes redundant. So uh, if I've done all my work in the first 16, 18, 18, 19, we, the programs are set. The boys might be individualized in certain areas. They might be generic in other areas because they're the fundamentals that we're working on. And it's good to get everybody competitive. But then it's about, okay, uh, does a player understand feel? Why was that what, out, of those, out of those lists? Can you tell me any difference? Can you tell me what what didn't work, what didn't work? And actually, deal, dig, dig into a lot of uh, autonomy. And okay, no, I got out of me four. I thought third rep was poor. Thought I, uh, uh, if it was a squat, thought I kicked out a little bit too early. Uh, I, I broke at the bottom. If it's a box squat, I didn't go all the way to the box. That's my job done. It's giving them information consistently supporting on a high level but not telling them all the answers if it's safe if it's uh, appropriate let it flow intervene when you need to because at the minute they're under that much stress and that much pressure all they're trying to do anyway is compute everything you're telling them so don't overcoach and don't undercoach but give them what's necessary and I think over time having watched young coaches and uh, sat and reflected on myself, that's probably the, one of the biggest things that I've taken apart from, taken out of myself is, listen, sometimes shut up. There's no need to intervene. We've got a group of lads now who, who can challenge each other, who can question each other about how their training's going. Now, that's through our methodology and the way that we do things. But, it wouldn't work in any other context because we deliver it. And, and, and that's the key. I think when uh, I met you down at Child's Champion, it was like, you can't say the culture of the one club, pick it up and expect another club to run it. But what you can do is remove themes and elements that are good and try and overlay them onto other people if, if they are productive in their outcome. And I think that's one thing that I've learned is I can tell these boys, bam, bam, bam this is what we do. No, that's great, 
in the first two years, but then once they start to get older, it's under them understanding what benefits are for themselves rather than necessarily everything being prescriptive. Mm. I think no, I think there's a real skill to that being able to um, balance that giving enough information, but also allowing them that freedom or that that kind of space to to experiment with with something, be it something technical or tactical or whatever, without necessarily intervening. Because there is sometimes that inherent want or desire from a coach to give information, isn't there? But actually, sometimes you're better off holding it back. Yeah, I mean, uh, but and, and like I've been, I'm I'm surra- I've been surrounded by some really really good people. So at Gloucester, if you the people that are, are around the, the SNC environment, there's Dan Tobin who came through the Leicester model, was senior conditioner at Leicester, who's head of performance of the whole club, uh, but has worked in an academy. Tommy Turner, who's his assistant, who was his, who was assistant at Leinster, has worked in an academy. Now, one thing I'm not is, and, and I've learned this over time as well. I'm not precious enough to stand there and worry about other coaches coaching them players. It's not detrimental to me. It's not a reflection of what I've not taught. It's actually additive. It's actually assisting those players with an external voice who is in the senior environment going, do you know what, that's great. What have you thought? Have you looked at this and this? And understanding my strengths are around uh, getting players strong, making players robust. But then the younger guy, so Jordan, who's finished his degree last year, suddenly talks about new levels of practice that have come out in recent research. Tommy, who has done uh, research in velocity-based training, pick his brains about whether that's better for certain players at certain times and things like that. But actually, don't suddenly think I know everything. I think that's probably one thing. I keep going about a lot of things you learn. That vulnerability to go, do you know what? He's more clued up on that than me. If he's free or if he's available, let's utilize it. Maximize the people around you rather than think that you're you're the only person that can do stuff. And the players respect that as well because and I'll, I'll players see through bullshit quite quickly. Mm. Like if if you're blagging or if you're bluffing, they know. So Treat them with the respect that they treat you. Yeah, if, no, definitely. If, if that makes sense. Mm. So we kind of spoke a little bit off air about um, autonomy and, and obviously that kind of transition of being from school to being an academy instructor and stuff like that. So how do you balance involving the parents, which I know is something you've spoken about before, whilst trying to build ownership and autonomy in the players? What's that kind of balancing act like? So I think there's, I think, There's a way that this needs managing. I think there's. I think we've we've probably managed to nail it, but we've. I think I, I'm. I'm. I'm going to speak very highly of two people that I work with who deserve a lot of accolade for this. So, James Hudson, who is the senior nutritionist, who works with the club, but actually now supports the first team, senior academy, the junior academy, and the under 16s so I don't know any other environment that has the senior program lead work right through the pathway. So I know that the information that the parents are getting is first hand. The second person that needs an accolade on this, that until something so subtle, but you wouldn't appreciate, or people would not appreciate how important it is, is a guy called Tom Jameson, who is a Gloucester fan throughout, uh, an ex-teacher, and is our education officer. And what he does every third week of the month is between him and his wife, they come in, they get an urn, they make teas and coffees, and while the 16s and 17s are training, they have an open-door policy where people can just come in for a brew, coffee, tea, biscuit, have a chat with him or chat with other parents and actually get parents talking about issues that they've got. One thing it does is, by allowing Tom that autonomy to come in and do that, we get first-hand feedback from parents as to the stresses and strains and, and what's going on because they're not talking to rugby coaches. They're not, I'm not going to tell, I'm not going to guess how parents think, but why would I come moan to a rugby coach who picks the team? Or why would I give issues 
that I have around my son to a rugby coach who picks the team. But if I've got the ability to talk to a nutritionist or an education officer or an S&C guy who can, who are removed from that environment, but then can feed information in to maybe cause change. I think we've got it right there. And I think that's one, one massive positive. In terms of how we engage our parents, one thing we try to do is find topics that are relatable to all age groups, but also that are really important life lessons. So if we're talking about uh, social media and the use of it and the abuse of it, if we're talking about nutrition, if we're talking about uh, driver awareness and road traffic accidents, if we're talking about anti-doping and, and, and the perils of it, we need parents and players in the room at the same time. The reason being is, in terms of anti-doping, it's on, it's on the lad. Mum and dad become independent of the situation at, in the Olympic sports from as young as, as 14. But from us, once they leave the programme and join the under-18s, they can be tested. That makes them accountable. So parents and players need to understand that. In terms of nutrition, we direct all our talks to the parents at 16. They're the people that do the shopping. They're the people that prep the meals or do put the stuff on the table. At that point there, the lads are already getting rugby knowledge, S&C knowledge. It's probably too much for them at that point to bring them in for extra nutrition chats. But mum and dad bring them to training. What could we maximise in that time, in that hour that they're there? I know. Well, they can come and see Tom and have a drink. And then they can go on and listen to James for 35, 40 minutes and pick his brains about relevant matters that are specific to their child. In terms of like the road traffic stuff, we work with a great, Gloucester Fire Brigade have been unbelievable. We work with a great guy out at, uh, at Winchcombe who's, who's, who's retired now uh, for, for personal reasons. But we were fortunate enough that he brought his best mate in who a daughter died in, a, in an RTA. And we got their side of the story. So not just the fire brigade, but we got the parent side and that, and that rocked a few people. It wasn't meant to uh, upset people, but it did. And it made people aware, like the, the feedback from that specific one was like, wow, like I never realized how impactful it could be. Like it's, it's, it, it is, it's hard. And I think along the line, what we've learned is, is that that's great. So you do that in isolation, bang, 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 done. But parents are like school kids. You can't just do it once. So you've got to revisit it and you've got to revisit it. But once you've done the main one, you could probably do a session later in the year, which is an amalgamation of others. So you can bring three or four elements together and you can review what's gone on. So if anyone joins the program late or anyone has missed that one, they can, we, we'll send all the information out, but we can also catch up as well. And I think that's the way we've done it. It works for us because Oxford, the farthest side of Oxford is probably an hour and 40 away. So those guys that are coming into the centre, we, we've got access to them. It's not like uh, anyone at Leicester who could be uh, from Leicester to Langley. It could be two and a half, three hours if, if the traffic's bad. So we, we get access to our parents, which is great. Uh, the balance being that everything we feed in, we're trying to get conversations in the car to change. We're trying to get that latent period between leaving the training ground and getting to the house or coming from school and getting to the training ground to be more than just getting on your phone and being silent. And, and, and the first thing we'll send out is, uh, how, how, do you, how do you frame a conversation? Do, do parents close, close the door straight away? Do they put emotion in the car with them? Because they are fueled by, it's been wet, it's been windy, you drop the ball, I'm going to start this this way. And it's, and it, and it's, and it's making people understand their role within that. And we have different levels of success. It doesn't work for everybody, but it's something that we've, we've, we've pushed out in the last few years. And uh, again, you can't speak highly enough of Tom and James for the work that they do, because actually without them steering different elements, uh, and backing up other things, it, it, it would fall flat on its face. 
Mm, nice, some really great ideas there. Um, I know that the road traffic one is something that, you know, people don't often think about until the worst has already happened. Um, I know we, when I was in the Borders Academy, we had a player who was involved in a traffic accident. Luckily, you know, nothing in terms of long-term damage, but it could have been significant. And, you know, a lot of the players were really sh shaken up about that. And it did spur that conversation. But unfortunately, I think maybe people are a little bit reactive around that. I and mean, you're talking about young lads getting their license for the first time and traveling significant distances. It is something that is actually probably not thought of in as much priority as it should be. No, I mean, ours was a response to five lads having dinks. And they weren't crashes, they were just dinks, bang, 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 bang. And it was, listen, we've got to stop this. So the first time we did it, they came in and had a chat. And I, it, the chat was great. It was this presentation, it was this and this. And the, the, fire, the fire chief took to one side of the end and said, do you want to bring a car down? Do you want me to cut someone out of a car for you? I was like, would you? He went, yeah, okay. So Friday afternoon, all the lads would do out for training. Uh, we got two of them to sit in a Ford Focus and they cut them out of a car. We got a crew to come in from nowhere and cut two lads out of a bashed up Focus. And that, you know, it was, you, this, is, this is real world, this. This is not playing around. Mm -hmm. So I know there's a lot of community initiatives that the players are getting involved in. So can you tell us a bit of reasoning about why they get involved in that, what the purpose is within the academy and some of the kind of, I guess, benefits that have come out of it? So uh, about, what is it now? We're doing it now, three years? About three years ago. Uh, academies sit in this kind of, and, and there's a lot of talk if you, if you look through social media stuff about dual pathways and education and sport and or uh, work experience and sport or uh, different skills and stuff. So we were going down a, a route where there was a couple of them that wanted to do degrees and they were doing it, but there's there nothing else. There's like a void. So I, I, I bumped into a guy that was running a homeless charity in the centre of Gloucester. Something called Gloucester Feed the Hungry. And it was just a, he had a marquee up in the centre of town. And it was like, oh, how are you doing? Yeah, I said, oh, my name's Kev, I work at Gloucester Rugby. Would, would you need any volunteers? He went, yeah, we'd be grateful. Just send some, if you want to send some guys, we do it once a month. And it was like, right, okay. So two of the guys that I knew would go for it, I went with at first. And uh, we went down. And this was like, what was it, September? And there's probably 67 people sat in the middle of King Square in Gloucester, waiting for this guy with his gazebo to turn up with a chicken curry and smut stuff, clothes. And actually, it was really worthwhile. It's, didn't tell the boys anything about it before we went, just so we were going doing some community work. And then afterwards, got them to reflect on it. And when they reflect on it, it's like, we are so lucky to have what we have. So I sent an email out and spoke to Gloucester City Council, and they, they put me put to another place, which is like City Mission. So I was talking to them, and uh, they found it quite bizarre that uh, it's, it sounds counterintuitive now, but because I have used it quite a bit, but they were like, I've got a group of players that are willing to volunteer. I can help support your program if there's something you want doing. And they were like, oh, it'd be great if you come in once a month, but we don't want any media attachment to it. And they were like, well, what's the point in coming then? If you're not going to raise the profile of the place, <laughs> I said, but you've got to understand the motives behind it. If I put media to it, people will say it's a one-off. So by removing the media at certain points and it going on behind the scenes, it becomes a, con a constant thread. And it was like, ah, right. So two years ago, we started that process. And like, uh, that's gone amazing. Uh, it's kind of gone quiet in recent months because of the, the COVID-19 and things. But probably testimony to a group of players. So guys like Charlie Beckett, Tom Hudson, Elliot Creed, who initially drove the process of getting out there to a guy that's currently in the, uh, lost the first team at the minute, a guy called Alex Seville. Now, if any of the lads, no, any of the lads you speak to would, would tell you about Alex, he's probably one of the quietest guys you've ever met. Like really, I mean, really quiet, just completely focused on his training, completely determined about his rugby. And uh, he, was very, very sceptical. So he came the first time and he, he didn't pie it off, but it was just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I kind of said, oh, do you fancy going again? And uh, 
he came again and he met this guy and this guy was like a, he was an alcoholic he wasn't a drug addict uh he got divorced he was going through a messy divorce was living in a shelter in a housing shelter because he had no money was a teacher at a university and spoke japanese chinese and another language and i got talking to him for an hour and from then to 18 months ago he's been the first name on the list every time to go and asked every time when are we going again and again it's that level of interaction that you don't know how you get to that point but something makes you think find greater empathy find I don't know, compassion or social skills to be able to find it. Something is created within you and you just start to find and evolve from it. And, and we found that with Alex. Now his conversations in the change room are different. This, this is one part of it. He's got a consistent girlfriend as well. So like when you measure everything, it's probably one tiny element of his development. But now he's 2021. 20, actually, it's probably something that has helped massively. We got we got another guy, there's another programme that is run across the Premiership, it's called the HITS programme. Uh, all the clubs do it, and it's just trying to get uh, disengaged kids back into education. So, I, we've got a player with us at the minute, like called Aaron Inkley, who's played England in the 20s. He's a, he has been a bit of a lad, and he'll admit that openly. Uh, so, like Aaron was a bit, oh, a bit lost, I don't know what I'm doing with my time. So, why don't you just go and speak to the community department? Why don't you go and work on the HITS programme, like it's, it's kids that are disengaged, they're, they're wanting to find access through sport and education, it might be something you enjoy. So how long is it? So it's an eight weeks, it's an eight week course. All right, I'll give it a go. So this was in his under 19 year, so this is the first year of his 20. Two years on, at the end of the under 20s, he was nominated for a parliamentary award for volunteer of the year in turn from Premiership Rugby and also last year received the club's community player of the year award on the back of his work with the HITS programme and supporting that through the club. Now that's not going to make Aaron, Aaron will still behave the way he behaves but in terms of boys giving things back I see that as a massive part of what the, what the process is. I think if you look at the top level of rugby, and I'm probably generalising now, but I'm generalising in a real positive way, there's not many bad blokes. There's a lot, there's a lot of good blokes at the top, fundamentally just good people. And, and that, that's something you kind of want to, you want to help and want to share. You want to keep that going, don't you? you want, however you de determine good or, or, mm. or whatever that means to you, you, you want a, a team of that reflects the club, reflects the place where you play. So it's working class cities, Gloucester, there's, there's, there's a mixed economic group in terms of money and stuff like that. But ultimately, they want 15, 23 that are going to go out on the pitch and give everything they've got every week. And then at the end of it, give a bit back because that's, that, that's what the purpose of, that's what the club is. It, it's the heart of the city. And then when these lads suddenly go out and they see that when you go to the, the, the homeless shelter, people would know who they were. They'd know what results were going on. They'd know if they were playing and they'd want to talk about this stuff just because they are separated from the, the rest of society or in isolation. Doesn't mean they don't keep abreast of what's going on. And, and, and that's what, the lads, what shocked the lads. When are the Gloucester Rugby lads coming back up? When are they coming back in? Well, we always get good food when they come in. Like, I'm like, in terms of, but, but I'm not being funny. Like in terms of that, the, we, have a, we have a performance chef that works for the club, a guy called Will Carvalho. Like, again, he prepped all the food. The, the club set aside a small budget for him to acquire some food every month to prep a quality meal. I mean, the stuff he would feed the players to give to, the, to, give to these homeless people. And, and then we'd take four or five lads down. Two might serve. Once they'd served, it's all about chat. It's about giving people an identity. It's about talking and like learning about yourself, but also giving other people the opportunity to talk to and, and, and get out of that like bubble of being on their own. And it, listen, it worked for it's worked for us. And and I can't say what the what the longevity is or like the shelf life is. Is it is it, is it a 
Is it something that goes in cycles? I don't know. Uh, but it, there's a lot of other people doing a lot of good work. Like uh, there's just been a article released on it's the rugby paper. Jake Armstrong at Bristol. He's a, he spent two nights a week in a soup kitchen when he was injured for six months. And a lot of things go under the under the radar, and and that should be applauded too because uh, the work's actually going on. It doesn't necessarily all have to be out there in front of people's eyes. If that makes if if that kind of answers your question. Mm, no, definitely. So you kind of already alluded a little bit to the COVID nineteen situation. So obviously, all sport across the UK and across Europe has been affected. So as an academy, how are you guys adapting to the coronavirus situation? In an interesting way. Uh, so we got what we got twenty. I think we got about twenty-two athletes across the southwest of England, probably, uh, and further, some in Wales as well. Uh, they they've had a framework of a working week, but again, I don't know what resource they've got. I don't know. I don't know what uh, access they've got to stuff. Uh, some boys have got more resource than others. I've seen pictures of lads with racks with high levels of plate weight. I've seen lads doing burr crawls with a shopping bag on their head with eight cans of beans in it so that he's getting some neck strength. I've got lads running on sand dunes. I've got lads running on the Pembrokeshire beach. Like it's, there's so much variation to the level of support people have got. It's, it's crazy. And I think one thing that we're having to do in terms of uh, manage, and, and, and I use manage in the, in, in loosely, is I believe that if we've done our job as coaches, they should know what they need to do and what, at what given time. Now, that's going to cause a lot of debate with a lot of coaches out there because that, removing that element of control and removing that element of uh, prescription, are they getting the biggest response from the stimulus that they've got? Well, you know what? We're in unprecedented times. The stimulus response is not going to be at a level it would be that they would have in your gym when they turn up with you all the time. But you know what? They'll give you their best effort to make sure they're doing the best they can as long as you've coached them right. And one thing that we're getting is I'm getting pictures and videos uh, every every day of sessions, boys looking knackered after running, uh, pictures of gym, outside gyms where they've tried to do their weight sessions. Uh, that's, that's great and it, and it is what it is. Uh, one thing we are doing is, so we started last week, is getting the boys to do a video diary. So last week it was, come on, uh, can you send me a minute, minute 15 clip about your mood? What's working? What's not working? What are the challenges? Is there anything you need from us? Is there anything you need from your mates? And, and it was quite interesting that motivation last week was still very high. They were only two weeks in. Uh, motivation was high. Uh, understanding what they need to do day by day, they got that. Uh, some boys had struggled in the first two weeks to get a, a structure, their own structure. So a couple lads have said they stayed in bed a little bit later than what they would do if they were training at the club. That had then thrown them out because they didn't feel like training later in the day. So they had to make adjustments. So they got up and trained first thing, and then the day was theirs. So it's that it's it's understanding themselves in and around what is their home life. Lads are at home with two young, two other brothers. They're at home with mum and dad in the house. They can't go out training early doors. They've also got other things to do. So I've seen lads having to help at home, chopping trees down. It's, it's, they, they have to be selfish in their own mind to get their outcome every day. But they have to be mindful of the long term that they don't emotionally or mentally wear themselves out by repeatedly doing the same stuff because we don't know how long this situation is going to run for. And I think that, I think that's probably one of the, the big learnings for me in, the, in this period is, is like ma maintaining a, an emotional and mental well-being through this period for these boys is, is probably the critical point because you know as well as I do, Rob, sport's about interaction. Sport's about social interaction. It's about banter. It's about having a crack in the gym, about listening to music, and getting on each other's backs when things when when things are good and when things are bad. This isn't happening. 
they've got their own little group. They've got their own WhatsApp group. They chat, but not the day-to-day back slaps, high fives, leaving sweaty and a mess, calling each other out for not working hard. And 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 that's that's the bit that's probably over time going to going to wear away at them. And, that, and that's probably the bit we've got to manage because if we can keep that bit, if we can maintain the emotional men- mental well-being the training should just naturally fall into place it's making sure that other aspects are weak we are considering i'm not going to say we know how to change them but are there to support if they need the support mm, that's really interesting i think it's highlighted kind of what you said before as well about you know the idea of making yourself redundant eventually as a coach that if you're doing your job right you know, you're educating your players and they're taking autonomy that there does come a point where actually you can step aside and, and players, you know, instead of waiting for instructions, step up to the plate and, and take the ball by the horns. Yeah, I mean, like, so if, if, if we look at a normal, so if, we, if I run through my normal working week, yeah, in terms of what a day, a week, a week would look like for some of the academy lads. Uh, so let's start, games would be Saturday. So... They'd be on loan uh, in the championship in National 1 or National 2. So they're playing senior level rugby. That's them. Boom. Done. Sunday would be off. Monday they'd come in. There'd obviously be medical checks and, and whatever. Sometimes James Hudson would put a, a, like a 10-minute short blast meeting on, just on uh, depending on what the, the topic was for the next three weeks, whether it was, his, was vitamin D, whether it was daylight saving changing, whether it is fueling your week. Because effectively, we've done all our education, 16, 18, 19. It's then, like we said, it's going back to refresher, refresher, refresher. Let's make sure it's on. They've come in, a uh, little meeting with him, James. Any medical reviews done. We do our prep work. We do our plyometrics. And then we go lower limb. Boom. Everyone knows when they come to work, it's lower limb on Monday. And they get revved up for squats. Love it. Uh, and then we split. So we've done our lower limb session, we go away, we have our meeting. Those that have played, and this has been a slight change recently, those that have played would potentially go off-feet condition. Those that haven't played would go upper body conditioning work, grapple, and body contact training. So the off-feeters would be what bikes or uh, rowers, just to give them some kind of a, a, a tempo blow. Other guys, it'd be okay. We're going to get a med ball circuit, a rope circuit, just to get you warmed up, cross your shoulders, get your mobility done. And then, first part of it would be like rugby ball. So it'd be a rugby ball, a medicine ball, Swiss ball, one on one, rip it off the other guy, get into it as much as you can, really fatigue them forearms, get body contact in, get rid, you've not played to so get rid of that frustration from the weekend. Let's, 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 let's get out there on a Monday so that by the end of that day, because the first team are doing a lower level day, we are prepped for the rest of the week. Everyone's at the same level by Monday. And then we go back to back and we, 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 get, some, we get some fighting. Yeah, you get a bit of claret on the floor. It gets a bit tasty. It gets a bit messy. But high fives and pats on the back when you leave the gym because it, it, that's how it is. What stays on the, what goes on the mat stays on the mat. When you walk out the door, all the, all the, all the bitching and everything stops. So it's done. Uh, and then they'll go away and get fed. Tuesday, predominantly be a, a rugby day and an upper body day. So rugby would be, uh, depending on what our needs are that week, so, and, and depending on indi- individual work as well. Uh, we might have lads on loan training first thing, so have a train in the morning, and then they come to us. The National League clubs are training at night. So you get four lads that might train in the morning, then come in for weights, then come in for skills. You've got other lads that are coming for weights, do their skills, and then go on loan again on a, a nighttime session. So they get double rugby on a Tuesday. Uh, the Hartby lads are training on a Wednesday as well, but just do rugby. Everybody being Thursday. So it'd be weight skills, and then the National League lads would go out on loan again. And then Friday, you from a squad of 22, uh, you could have five players, and they'd go into non 23 with the senior squad. And they do they train with the senior conditioners, with the senior players that aren't involved at the weekend or the injured lads that are returning. And, and, and that'd be their week. So you're probably looking out of a working week that there could be not including individual bits that lads want to pick up. There'd be 
four SNC exposures, maybe five if you include if you include Friday morning for those that aren't playing. There'd be two, three, four or five rugby exposures potentially in a week. Uh, meetings around that, so there'd be individuals around reviews which boys have to set up. Maybe meetings with the nutritionist, individuals or group. Uh, chats around education. You've got games in and around that. So that, that, that's what our week looks like. But it's then, okay, that's what you've done now for 39 weeks. On week 40, everything's stopping. What are you going to do? Because that's what happened last month, uh, two weeks ago on Monday. <laughs> what are you going to do now? I've got no weight. I can't do this. How am I going to formulate my week? And, and I think that's where the, the, the learning comes. They know that we normally do this on a Monday, this on a Tuesday. But in their environment, it might work better that they do it the other way around just because of time and whatever else. But they'll still get the same outcome. It's just finding what fits them. Mm, that's good. It's good stuff. So is there any advice you'd give to those coaching youth athletes based on your knowledge, your experience, kind of what you've gained from having skin in the game? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's, uh, I'm gonna, I'll do it in bullet point in my own head because it's easy to do. Okay, so number one, don't expect them to know what you're on about. When you're, when you're coaching, initially you're going to have to take time and it's going to take patience and perseverance to stick with them just because they've come out of a environment or another academy don't expect them to know and understand what you're doing. You need to take time and, and coach them and, and, and really invest in finding out, put Lincoln into point two, find out what their drivers are, what, what, what makes them tick. So we've done something this year called a Why Are You Here? And every player at the start of the year had to send in a picture of a reason why they were at the club. And it could have been anything. They just had to stand up in front of everyone and justify it. So, funnily enough, I've got different things on my computer, like in terms of I've got one lad's got a picture of his mates from his collage of him in a Gloucester shirt of under 13s. He's got a picture of his mates at school. He's got a picture in his Gloucester shirt from the under 18s final before he got injured. And that's why he's there because he wants to play for Gloucester. I've got a lad who's uh, got a picture of King's Home in a night game under lights because that's where he wants to be. He wants to end up being in that environment and being a professional rugby player. I've got another, and, and on my last exam, I've got, there's loads of them, but the last one I've got is I've got a young player whose uh, brother is in a wheelchair and disabled. Now, this young man, uh, uh, played international rugby this year and played international rugby last year. Uh, I'll give his name, but he, he, he's a Welsh lad who played for Italy. Uh, and at King, because the under-18 Six Nations was at Gloucester last year, he's got two tries for Italy against Wales in the, in, in the last game. And there's a picture of his dad, his brother, him, and the two lads from the academy who were playing the Wales team all together. And at the end of that, he got up and cried. And... Uh, I didn't know that. That was what made him want to come to work every day. But now that we know more about them and knowing them bits allows you when them times get tough and when them times are, that there's not a lack in a motivation or they need that little bit of inspiration. They've got their handbooks and they can go back to it and go, do you know what? This is why you said you were here. Like, what? Remember what makes you turn up every day. It's not me. You, you, you said this is what drives you. Now, that, that for me is what, what gives them that uh, autonomy, to, not autonomy, independence to be as uh, driven as they want to be in that element. Uh, I think anyone that's coming in, 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 into it, they've got to appreciate that no matter what they know, they don't know anything. So no matter how intelligent or whatever 
status they've come in academically and, and I'm not knocking academically st standards I think they're amazing but the way the people are coming out are great but everything is context driven if you've only got one med ball and one Olympic bar you can't do that ideal program that he says in, 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 in that piece of research that you've seen so that's great but how are you going to adapt it how are you, how are you going to make it so that when them 20 kids come through the door you've got them captivated and you, with the minimal equipment you've got, you can deliver what you want to get from it. And and it it sounds quite arrogant, but it's not. It's it's listen, you know what you know, but actually, you've probably not experienced half of what you need to know. Uh, I've got I've got two more that I, I fundamentally think are essential. Uh, trust the people you work with. If you if you don't if you don't trust who you work with, if you think of a squad or a group of coaches, you don't put all the same coaches together because you get the same thing. The reason you have a coach that is skilled in gameplay and a, a coach that is skilled in technical and a coach that is uh, skilled in talent development because all those three areas overlap. But each one has to be able to trust each other to make sure that. The end product is quality, and it's the same with S and C. It's don't get precious over your athletes because someone else is feeding in. Remember, you see a squat as you see a squat, but not everyone sees it the same as you. So all all opinions are valid, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's wrong. And it's not being I keep going. It's it's trusting that. Everyone around you is doing it for the benefit of that player. They're not doing it for any other reason. I, I think the last thing that uh, everyone needs to consider is that just because you're dealing with S&C, that doesn't mean you're not involved in everything else. How, uh, if you think about athlete development and people coming in, how are players emotionally developing? How are they cognitively developing? Technically and tactically, they're looked after by rugby coaching, but, but who underpins all them other elements? And, and who, in, in, in what way do you all overlap to make sure that those other areas that, that ultimately, when a player goes up to the senior squad, they go up because they're technically right or tactically right, they're more physically dominant so they can cope. But how do we know whether they're emotionally stable and cognitively understand what they've got to do in that, in, in that environment? Because you can't test those things until they get there. But you've still got to make sure that you're challenging those areas as they go through. And I think that's probably, uh, those five things are what I would hold up against any kind of development, or, development program or, or try and get people to understand that, that we can all grow no matter how long we've been doing it. Yeah, no, some really good bits of advice there. Solid, I think. Um, some really useful things to go away and kind of measure yourself against, I think, and, and look to improve on some things if they're, they're not up to scratch. So if, if there are people are looking for any kind of particular resources, is there any books or articles or podcasts or anything that springs to mind or even people to kind of look towards in terms of, where you'd point people either from a physical prep perspective or just a mindset or coaching skills, anything that springs to mind? Uh, there's, to be honest, there's loads of stuff out there at the minute. Like uh, in terms of physical prep and aligning it, the, the, the superheroes initiative, like the, the way that that is set up and the way that that goes together. And then like Howard, Howard Green's jumped on the back of that with tennis and, and, and moving that through there. Like fundamentally for any sport, that level of development or those movements are, are, are potentially things that you can't afford to miss. So if anyone's looking for any, any stuff that you can put in, in, in pathways, lower down the pathway or, and, then, and then carry them through in threads, I think, I think they're essential. I think uh, there's some really, really good coaches out there. They've got lots and lots of knowledge. One thing you've got to do or try and do is be cheeky. Try and get five minutes with them. Try and get a cup of coffee with somebody. Try and get a chat. Because once you get into that area where there's a coffee in there, there's no books, that's when you find the real.
coaches. You find the real nuggets. It's not like you're asking or ringing up someone to talk about a specific piece of research that they've done. It's, it's finding out why, what and why. And, and, and those are probably the critical bits. So like, I every so often, uh, I've got so much time for this blog. I think, I think he, the work he does is unbelievable. And anyone that's worked with an individual athlete for 10 years is, 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 is testimony to himself. So like Matt Little, who worked with the LTA, he's, he's, he works with Andy Murray. Like, how, if, if he could, if someone could encapsulate an hour with him around soft skills and how you stay with one athlete for so long through all the trials and tribulations, like, there is something there that is, if anyone got the opportunity to spend 15 minutes with him, I would say, listen, just grab it, grab it with both hands because you would learn so much. You look at like uh, the, the, the work from Lloyd and Oliver coming out of uh, next to like the, the youth athlete development model. You, you sit that down, you look at it and you start to not pull it apart, but then you look at how, what you're doing in your program, does it reflect what the research says? And if it doesn't, why doesn't it? And can you can, can you give justification and rationalization as to why it doesn't? And do you need to change? And like little bits like that, like you've got to have an underpinning theory to everything that you do, but it doesn't mean that that theory determines everything you do. It's how it applies to your context and how that context is driven. So people like uh, so like Lloyd and Oliver, some of the work. Some of the work that's coming out of the UKSVA in terms of uh, with Ed Archer and uh, the, the youth stuff is really, really good as well. Uh, but it, if, you were, if you were to look at, say, uh, if, you, if you were looking on social media and you know, it was like, now give me five people that uh, I should look at, it'd be, or I'd try, I'd try and uh, engage with, you'd probably go superheroes. Because I think work is that, that that whole platform is phenomenal uh i try and tap into someone like a matt little or someone who's been in the game for 10 15 years working with an individual athlete and making sure that things were going on uh i'd look at the work coming from lloyd and oliver and make sure that i was abreast of the latest research that's going on in youth athletes uh i'd probably look at someone like a Dave Collins and that being around the, re the research that comes out in terms of the psychological characteristics around sport and the work he's done around talent development and those and those areas so you're not just looking at in a physical domain have an understanding and appreciation for other stuff that's coming out as well in terms of developing, this, developing these athletes that you're working with and then probably lastly, uh, there's a really good one called "Is it Athletic Evolution?" That's uh, just on there, <laughs> just on there as well. Keep having a look out for him; he's quite good. <laughs> Do you know what? That's the third person in a row that's mentioned Dave Collins. I'm going to have to get him on. It, to be honest, like I've, I've known Dave for about eight, nine years, and uh, like some. <laughs> I appreciate the work that he's doing in terms of the way the way it looks and the way it forms. It it, it definitely does give you a, a a playing field by which to work to and work from, and things like that, which it it does help. Uh, but again, it's like it, it depends whether you go. I'm an SNC coach, and that's my priority, or whether you go. Okay, I'm dealing with this, but actually, I'm dealing with talent development. So, in talent development, what are the what are the conflicting or contributing factors to getting a better athlete? It's not all about the tin they lift in the gym. What are the reasons why that is effective? And having that breadth of knowledge from people, I think I think is one that is is essential. Mm, so just lastly, then Kev, uh, where can people find out more about you and what you're doing? Any sort of social media channels or anything specific? Uh, I, ha I, I have my own Twitter and that's it. I don't do anything else. I don't. I, my son keeps telling me, yeah, get this, get that. Then you get off my phone. I'm like, no, no I'm on 
I, I have my own Twitter page and that's it. Mm-hmm. And then I try and through that show the work that the academy are doing at various points of the year. Just and, and sometimes put things out there just to cause not cause debate, but ask questions and see if people take you up on it. Uh, I want to learn. I don't want to ex- say that this is this, this and this. I, I, I'm not. I don't pretend to be controversial, but some of the things that I do and the way that I do things are not the way that other people would do it. And I appreciate that. But even at my age, discussion's great, if you get what I mean. It's mm-hmm. great to get out there and chat to people. No, I can definitely uh, vouch. There's some of the little clips that you've put up of your training drills and some of the contact drills and, and wrestling and your kind of bear crawl variations and stuff like that. It's been some, there's some real gold in there. So I can definitely recommend people get on Twitter and, and have a little look at what you're putting out. Yes. So thanks very much for your time, mate. I really appreciate it. No, it's great talking to you again. Cheers for that. Speak to you soon. No And you. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, we'd like to ask you to do two simple things. First, if you could leave us a review on your chosen podcast player. And second, if you could share or send this link to another grassroots coach. Those two things will help us spread the word about the podcast and grow our community.